Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Marked Safe. Tales of your very favorite and most beloved disasters. On Mark Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly and stay safe. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Mark Safe. Can you believe Halloween's already here? It's not here, actually. It is here. No, no, it actually starts September 1st. No, it doesn't. Oh, friend, I'm sorry to have to break it to you, but it does. <laughs> and I, I myself am an early Halloween person, but my God. I think we've talked about this before. We have. And I'm I'm usually more, pr- I don't know, it's it's a little weird this year because like I, I'm, I have a roommate, you know, and it's not really like my house because, you know, my life is the real disaster, but... Um, so I'm probably not like decorating like I normally do. I'm not going all out like I normally do. So I'm a little bit like, we're starting this later. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I I would kind of like to just skip this one and then do double Halloween next year. Yeah. Um, well, I think you could do I'll, that. I'll indulge you. Yeah. You do double Halloween next year. Okay. So that means I start like when June probably. Um, I'd say July. Well, I don't feel like that's August. double enough for me. Or I could start in June and I could continue it through the end of November because we all know how I feel about Thanksgiving. I still love a spooky Christmas. Okay, sure. You know what? I'm just going to start it in July and I'm going to go to the end of next year. (laughs) It's my favorite holiday and I'm feeling a little unprepared and ambivalent this year, but um, next year I'm doing double Halloween. But I I will live vicariously through you. Are you ready to talk about your skeleton project this year? Oh my gosh, I'm like so fucking excited about it i've been i've been planning this since last year actually (laughs) yeah i'm gonna do wizard of oz well i've already started wizard of oz it's not out in my yard yet um every year i do a big halloween display um with skellies and i change the theme every year Um, but wizard of oz this year and i oh it's so cool i really wanted one of those huge fucking horses you know what i'm talking about yes i do but home depot posted it in the group Home Depot sells out of them like soup. Well, I think they didn't release them again. But yeah, I was going to say, where the fuck are they? Because I've never seen one in the wild ever. So who's buying all the horses? Do they have them in a big warehouse somewhere? It's it's ridiculous. They went fast like those 12 foot uh, skeletons, which I would love to have. But I'm just yeah. I want the horse more because I want to do a horse of a different color for my Wizard of Oz thing. You're so- and um so i went in the horrible i couldn't find one under a grand and i went in the horrible rules group and i'm like hey i will trade merch for anybody that can like fucking find this for me at like a reasonable price and emily pulled through in the middle of the night she's like seriously yeah she messaged me and she's like right now saying there's 577 left get in there i was like on it so i pick it up tomorrow Oh my god, was this your whole endgame starting this podcast? It's just to get people to find me horse skeletons, yes. Yeah, just like you've got a whole army of people doing your bidding. (laughs) Was this the whole point? Not for free. As a cult leader, I I respect that. So am I like vice cult president? No, there's no such thing, but you are Honorary? 
No, but you are my favorite follower of my cult. Okay. I can deal with that. I can deal with that. Yeah. No, there, there's no division of leadership, I'm afraid. Yeah. So I, I'm getting my horse tomorrow and I'm so excited. Uh, I'm excited for you. I have the Tin Man done. I have Dorothy done. I had to give her some ruby feet. And uh, I'm going to work on the lion after this. And then the scarecrow, which I'm really excited about that one. And then I bought like an anatomical brain and a heart. I'm going to try to make them a little bit grosser. My neighbors are going to love me. <laughs> you're literally the coolest person I've ever met in my entire life. Just once a month. I mean, once a year. <laughs> once no. A month. <laughs> no. I, I was like, okay, what do you, does your period make you cool or something? Tuesdays and Thursdays. That's when I'm cool. Babe, no. Oh. All day, every day. You're such a great... And I know a lot of people will agree with me. You're such a great hype woman. I love you. Can you believe it's Only our 100th episode? Only for you. Oh. Yes. So excited. We've been together for 100 episodes. Well, more, we but technically... Well, yeah, because there's Patreon episodes and stuff. Like, we haven't even done this episode yet and i'm already like sending you audio clips while i'm driving this morning and i'm like hey what if we did this every week i'm so excited to collaborate with we've you. never <laughs> done a collaborative uh episode never. and so i think this no. is a lot of fun um so i think we're gonna do a part two on it next week but we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit um but yeah so a hundredth episode a hundredth episode so we have some new artwork so hopefully you found us <laughs> Um, which is, you never give yourself credit for any of this shit. It is made by you. I don't know if anybody knows or really understands that like any merch that you see, any artwork that you see, any fucking creativity that you see really is, is almost always just for Melanie's brain. We had art from an outside artist at one point, but almost everything that ever exists just comes directly from you. And I, I, feel like you skim past i don't feel like you get enough credit for that yeah i don't like it <laughs> fuck off but, you're just like yeah we have new art but we and i'm like i'm doing like the will smith gesturing at jada on the red carpet <laughs> thing and i'm like made by her <laughs> yeah so we have um new cover artwork for our podcast and we have coffee cups so i went out i don't like waiting on things. I'm an instant gratification per person. Um, so I went through and I like c bought a printer. I converted my printer. Um, I got some wholesale mugs. So I'm not just stacked with a bunch of inventory, which means I can like shave down some prices on our merch for you guys. So you're not paying a billion bucks and you know, it's made by me. Experiment more freely with the ideas that cross your brilliant little mind. Yeah, and I can take suggestions. If you got a weird suggestion, someone said they wanted from um, Disaster Potluck um, a at-risk middle-aged woman something. That person was maybe just my catfish account because I actually want that. Well, there'll be coffee mugs dropping with this episode. So go check out our shop. Um, you just go to Sorry, whoever you are, you don't exist. <laughs> Marksavepodcast.com. Um, there'll be a link to our shop in there. Um, bunch of different stuff. So check it out. Um, I'm going to keep the prices, you know, relatively low. I still have to 
you know, make something. <laughs> but you, um, you just drive me crazy because I feel like you undersell this so much. Like you're just like, yeah, we've got some mugs. It's chill. Go check it out. Guys, they're so fucking cool. They're so fucking cool. I could die. The Little Miss Disaster Mug is awesome. It's my favorite it's... thing I've ever made, I think. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like this is not. This is not just a coffee cup with our name on it. Like, it is so fucking cool. Go look. Seriously. I've touched your mug. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we have that. And if you have art suggestions, let me know. I can whip them up. I have all this stuff here. And um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really exciting. I'm excited about new things. Life. Another 100 episodes. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. I am excited about collaborating with you. This is, I can't believe it's taken us this long. I can't either. <laughs> and I, I think I might like it a little too much. You're like, no, I like having weeks off. And I'm like, oh, fine, I guess. <laughs> I think we should do I it guess. once a month. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess we should maybe do it first and see how it even goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I'm, I'm super jazzed about it. Okay. Well, before we get into that, we're winding down on our bracket right now. So we um, need to narrow this down to a final four on our petty pop culture bracket, moments bracket. You ready for this? Put my hair up in a scrunchie and crack my knuckles. Take off your earrings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pull off my (laughs) (laughs) press-ons. All right. So for our first one, we have Mariah Carey doesn't know J-Lo versus... Shania's best friend has an affair with her husband, proceeds to marry best friend's now ex-husband. Um, Mariah is going to win that one because, I mean, for me, that is just it, – it's almost the definition of petty. <laughs> it, it's – I mean, the other one is a good story, but that is that is petty, just encapsulated. So it's I, – I would be remiss not to advance Mariah Carey. I'm actually quite shocked by that. Really? Yeah, I thought you were going Shania all the way. Really? Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I am a, a sucker for the simplicity of just an ice cold one liner. <laughs> I I love the long backstory, but when it comes to petty celebrity shit, I love just like one line where you're like, "What? Did you- oh my god!" <laughs> and that's it. All right. The next one is Aviva Dresher throws her leg during an argument. Versus the Kanye Taylor Swift VMA Awards. Um, man, that's a tough one. But let me think about that for just a second. What would you pick? I need to phone a friend. God, I love a good throwing of a leg. Oh, yeah, that's that's just, that's always your favorite thing. Just anytime <laughs> a leg gets thrown, there, there you are. <laughs> I love Housewives, and it's just such an iconic moment. I don't know. It's my guilty pleasure. I, I think. I, I think. I also, it. I'm tired of talking about Kanye because, like, I don't know the whole thing. The whole it's just the whole thing's escalating. I hate the he's constantly talking about murdering people. It freaks me out. I don't want to give yeah, him he, any more airtime. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna look back someday and be like, how is anyone pretending they didn't see this coming? After like a mile and, fucking away. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I think I'm gonna have to go with the leg throw, but actually not even because of the leg throw, but because I 
respect someone who keeps receipts on fucking hand. Yes. <laughs> her <laughs> asthma. The, yeah, the x-rays in her purse, like... I, in the past 24 hours, I've had to pull out my phone and be like, oh, really? Are you sure you said that? <laughs> um, and I, I respect I, I respect it. So I'm going to go with that. Perfect. So the next one, we have La La Land, Oscar Faux Pas versus Jessica Simpson, Chicken of the Sea. Jessica Simpson. I hated La La Land Faux Pas. That, I, I hate secondhand embarrassment. Move on. <laughs> next, one. next one. Dakota Johnson calls out Ellen versus the Eminem MGK feud. Oh no. Oh I no. knew this was gonna be so hard for you. <laughs> oh fuck. I can't. Okay, because I I went down a fucking rabbit hole about the Ellen thing, but you know how I feel about a good one-liner like I I don't even care about him. Oh fuck me. And you know I love Eminem. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, this is killing me, but I'm just going to have to go with my gut on this. I'm going to go with the Dakota and Ellen one. Only, this is literally the only reason, because we already have one so similar to the Eminem one that's moved forward. Because Mariah Carey's I Don't Know Her line was almost the same thing. Like, that was yep. basically, why are we even talking about her? There, There's no significance to the conversation. <laughs> so, I, I guess just for the sake of bracket diversity i'm gonna go with the dakota and ellen one i love it so next week we will narrow our final four down to the last pair and the winner and then we'll get a box out i have a gut feeling about which two are gonna go head to head on this (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i know i cannot wait all right so the hundredth episode yes okay this was a listener request actually this was a couple listener requests i actually was it really yeah and then i had um i actually got an email um from somebody asking to cover a different one we'll get into that in a sec um but people people love this people want this and we're gonna do it together Yes. But we're gonna start. We we're gonna here. start off. We're we're going to the west. This this west. yeah. We're going out west. The wild wild. The west. wild west. And that was the thing that got me so jazzed that I was like, "Are you sure you don't want to collaborate all the time?" Because you know how much I love your matchups of things. Like when you do brackets, I love how you pair things. Y'all, we accidentally matched up this we week. Accidentally matched up, and I'm just like, "How fun would it be to do that more often?" Mm-hmm. Like either intentionally or unintentionally. Um, I mean, we definitely agreed to kind of tag team a compilation, basically. But then both of our stories ended up, I think, a little bit bigger than we planned. Right. So, yeah, now might be the time to address how we're how we're doing that. Okay, so I initially picked. So we are doing onset film accidents, and initially i i had this episode written with two episodes my second one just became gigantic um and we can't be here for seven hours so and you told me your word count and i was like melanie what the fuck i am not like i'm gonna get into this because you wrote yours before i wrote mine i'm like i'm gonna get into this i can't that's that word count that's insane for a single story (laughs) mine's longer than yours (laughs) 
So I I actually, we've decided that we're going to break this up into two parts. So you guys will get another part next week. And my first episode um, wasn't as thick and juicy as my second one. Um, but I still think it's really good. And I think it's a good, like, start for this collab. I... I'm so ready for this. <laughs> and I'm so fucking excited to tell you mine. I I can't wait for yours. So mine's going to be a little bit on the faster side, which is good because I'm ready to hear yours already. All right. Okay. So I figured the best way to start today's episode would be to talk about one of the earliest known deaths or deaths plural on a film set. Plural. Damn. Mm-hmm. I just, you know me. I love the old timey. You do. So just four blocks from the site of the Hard Rock Hotel collapse, my first episode on our journey to 100, the very first fixed seating movie theater was built here in New Orleans, Louisiana on July 26, 1896. Isn't that crazy? I didn't realize it was here. Me neither. I'm not surprised, though. When I was, like, looking through it... um, there was somebody initially that was trying to get a historical marker put up for it and then abandoned it. And then this other gentleman was like, no, it needs to be put up and followed through. And now I'm like down this rabbit hole of trying to get historical markers for our episodes put up because we've talked about so many places that like they deserve it, but they don't get it. And it's, it's a whole thing. Like you, they go through States or, like sometimes even just counties, it's a mess. We're going to have to figure this out. Some of these things really need historical markers. Vitascope Hall was a 400-seat theater where patrons would pay 10 cents to watch 10 to 12 short films. According to its that's historical marker... are we talking? That's too many. Well, you remember, I mean, this is like eight, late 1800s. They're, I mean, it's we're still... In like commercials, basically. Basically, yeah. Okay. According to its historical marker on 623 Canal Street, for 10 cents more, patrons could view the Vitascope projector in the projection booth. But so many people wanted to see the projector that soon the behind the scenes price jumped up to 50 cents. That is a lot of money for back then. Soon, theaters across the United States were popping up everywhere. And by the early 1900s, movies were now being played from not just one reel, but two allowing for bigger storylines with the extended duration. Enter the Western craze. Want your brain to explode? Just look up Western subgenres. They are, there's so many, it's ridiculous. Very quickly, movie companies began scouting locations to film their Westerns. Cannon City, Colorado, known for its, quote, arid climate, sunny weather, access to the river, a surplus of cowboys and mountain views, quickly became the go-to spot for filming westerns. Cannon City locals would soon find themselves on the silver screen, and some even found themselves victims of onset accidents. According to the Cannon City Daily Record, multiple filming injuries were reported in local papers. Quote, Myrtle Stedman was knocked unconscious after a horse bucked her off into some rocks. A stagecoach full of people rolled down a 150-foot embankment. Rex Roselli was stabbed in the leg filming a fight scene. Jesus Christ. William Duncan was shot during a scene when an actor forgot his cue and fired early before he could move out of the way. Wow, okay. Right off the bat, people are getting hurt. (laughs) 
I'm here to tell you that this sounds an awful lot like my half of the episode. Yes, it sure does. <laughs> and mine is from last year. Yeah. So. Yeah. Have we learned nothing? We have learned nothing. By January 1914, the Colorado Motion Picture Company laid roots in Cannon City. In early June of 1914, 26-year-old Grace Foreman, known professionally as Grace McHugh, left her home in Golden, Colorado to pursue her dreams of becoming an actress. She didn't have to wait long. Just three weeks later, she scored the lead female part in the Colorado Motion Pictures Company's new film project, Across the Border. And now I'm going to spoil this entire whitewash and problematic movie for you. Okay. <laughs> so... Curly Smith, he's a lieutenant of the Texas Rangers, and he suspects some shady activity when he notices a group of men stacking hay on a wagon. So he decides to follow him and investigate. Curly, on horseback, follows the wagon splashing across the Rio Grande into Mexico. And so to break the fourth wall a little bit, this is in fact filmed in Cannon City, and the Rio Grande is portrayed here as actually the Arkansas River. So this will be a little important later. Okay. So in Mexico, the wagon stops at this cabin. Hiding, Curly watches as the door opens and out steps the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. He's so in awe of her beauty that he almost forgets about the shady hay guys. Snapping out of it, he watches the men start unloading scores of high-powered American rifles of the highest pattern. The rebel general, um, an American man named Dean, says he'll buy all the guns and explosives he can get. I mean, I feel like this is... Still, like, some things have never changed. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of parallels. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, a guard spots Curly, and blam, he shoots him in the ankle. And Curly gets on his horse to race away. The smugglers are not far behind him, chasing after him. Curly was starting to lose too much blood, and he struggled on the horse. Soon, the smugglers' gunfire hits the horse, sending it and Curly tumbling down a ravine. And I really, like... Animal protection, like you know that that poor horse, like probably was pushed down that fucking oh god, hill. Yes. you know like, what the I mean. Things they did to horses back then, like making movies, is just disgusting. Ugh. Disgusting. I don't like to think about it. The smugglers thought that Curly was done for, so they returned to the cabin. But Curly wasn't done. That beautiful woman that he had seen just moments before had watched the whole thing go down, and she was horrified. So she searched for the injured ranger. When she found Curly, she introduced herself. Her name was Anita. This was the character Grace McHugh was portraying. She assures Curly that her family are Mexican patriots and not smugglers. Her father was the leader, so she promised him that no more harm would come to him. And with that, Anita brings Curly back to the cabin to tend to his wounds. And of course, they fall madly in love. Dean did not like this at all because he loved Anita. So when he found the pair canoodling by the river, he and his men separated him. Quote, they dragged the ranger a short distance away, bound him spread eagle fashion on the rocks, and tethered a snake to a peg with buckskin tongs so that its head, when full length, was six inches of his face. Oh my God. Dean says, there, you black-hearted skunk. When the dew dampens, that buckskin. <laughs> I gotta use that sometime. <laughs> it's the best, right? <laughs> I'm going to use that next time you run your mouth about Bobby Nat. Okay. You black-hearted skunk. Uh, did you see someone posted in the group that I they were doing, like, a blimp? Oh. You know. I can't wait. 
I'm caught up because I got COVID. <laughs> yeah. I've never been caught up on a show before. I told her. I was like, I can't wait to see how Bobby Nash fucks this up. I can't wait to see how you fuck everything up, Melody, you black-hearted skunk. <laughs> yep. So that's what Dean said. He says, there, you black-hearted skunk. When the dew dampens, that buckskin will stretch and that snake will reach you. Very threatening. Very ominous. Again, they leave thinking, like, that's the end of Curly. I, I don't know why any of these people just don't see it through. You know what I mean? <laughs> and Anita's just, she saves them once again. So to escape, they cut off the branch. Curly goes in this crazy river water, and he's, like, holding the branch over his head. So, like, the lookout spots, like, he doesn't get seen. But Curly obviously sucks because he gets busted again by these smugglers. Jesus. Yeah. So, meanwhile, there's other rangers, and they see another hay wagon. And since they hadn't heard back from Curly in a while, they decide to check it out. And, like all Westerns do, a shootout ensues. In the wagon, Dean's hall of Luddite bombs explode amidst the gunfire. Quote, this defeat made Dean's wrath boil over. He rode away from the scene with murder in his heart and a resolve to put an end to Curly. Been there. Been there. Murder in my heart. I'm there all the time, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. Back at the cabin, Anita's dad kicked Dean out once he learned about the whole rattlesnake shenanigans. And in retaliation, Dean incited mutiny among her father's men. But Mutiny. We don't use that word enough. It's the best word, right? Yes. And you know what else is the best word? You know what? Actually, before I knew we were doing a Western-themed episode this, this week, the other day, I just stuck my head in my roommate's bedroom and I was like, why do we not use the phrase yeehaw more often? And why do we not use rootin' tootin' more often? <laughs> I like rootin' tootin'. <laughs> Both highly underutilized. Absolutely. And I would like to add mutiny to the list. Perfect. We're going to make our own Mark Safe Western. Fuck yes. Rootin' tootin' mutiny. Yeehaw! <laughs> Rootin' tootin' mutiny when you yeed your last haul. <laughs> I love it. So, if you think rootin' tootin' mutiny is not the title, of it, episode, it better be. You I don't will be me. so mad if it's not the title. It's the best title. So, Anita heard about the mutiny and she escaped in the dead of the night, crossed the border back into America, found an army camp, and begged them for help. At dawn, with her father tied up and Curly about to be executed by gunfire, Anita led the army on horseback and all hell breaks loose. During the fight, a soldier falls dead off his horse. Curly picks up the man's saber and plunges it into Dean. And that was the end of that. Anita's father sees the two are in love and gives Curly his blessing to take her home across the border. And they live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. So these are the films that we're watching. I wasn't really going to do a full recap, but I loved it so much. <laughs> it had the word mutiny. <laughs> I mean, it, I'm so glad you did. So filming for the this movie, for any movie, just they wrap these up in record speeds. Demand was high. They really do. I did not realize like mine that I do is like a full length feature film in 2021 and had a 21 day shooting schedule. That's bananas to me. It's Isn't that like I thought it took a lot longer than I that. I thought it took years. I mean, I'm sure there's editing and all that stuff well, that yeah, goes but, but like shooting? I did not know that they were ever filmed that fast. But okay, continue. Yeah. Spoiling my own episode. Um Yeah, they were pumping these things out left and right. 
So the Colorado Motion Picture Company had partnered with Warner Features, better known today as Warner Brothers, and they had a very tight production schedule. They wanted three refilms every three weeks. So basically a movie a month. Dude, the similarities in our, our, our stories are like weird. <laughs> okay. So at this rate, it's easy to see why safety protocols were non-existent. I mean. Oh my God. Did okay. we write the same <laughs> shit? <laughs> this is tripping me out. <laughs> oh. Okay. You know, it's like those people, um, like, after a while, they start looking like their their dog. <laughs> I, I, Which one of us is I'll the, be dog? the dog? I'll be the dog. I mean, okay. I am, I'm faithful. I, um, I mean, you've, you've called me a dog. What was the dog that used to call what? me? Yes, you did. There was a type. I've called you a dog. I think it starts with an M. Really? Mm-hmm. You're full of shit. I'm not full of shit. I'm going to find this. <laughs> I'm going to find this right now. We're just going to have to pause. What was the context of this? Um, Just how I just do a lot of stuff. Oh, Belgian Melanois. Ha! Belgian Melanois. You're right. That's fair. I'll own that. So I'll be the dog. And okay. you're starting to look like me. They, I mean, those are beautiful dogs, and you are lovely, so that's fine. <laughs> but this episode is getting weird, and you will know why soon. Okay, carry on. Filming across the border went off without a hitch, um, but one scene was ruined during film development, leaving no other option than to reshoot. At the Arkansas River on July 1st, 1914, actors and crew prepared to redo the scene. Of the crew was assistant photographer Owen Carter. Owen had been working for the Colorado Motion Picture Company for a bit and had just been given a raise in salary for $10 a week effective that day, adjusted for inflation about 300 bucks. As the scene was being shot, something terrible happened. There are two drastically different accounts, but ultimately they each had the same outcome. So, you know, old-timey journalism is wild and they added shit yes. to make, you know, sell papers. Mm-hmm. The first account was that Grace was crossing the Arkansas River on horseback when the horse lost its footing, throwing Grace into fast-moving water. The other account was that Grace was in a small boat when it capsized, again, throwing her in fast-moving water. Either way, she's in fast-moving water, and that's not great. It's not great. The current quickly swept her under, and another actor, John Cow who was on his own horse, grabbed Grace's hand, but the current was too swift he lost his grip, and she drifted downstream. Oh, damn. Without hesitation, cameraman Owen Carter dropped his gear and plunged into the river to save her. He swam from the bank 320 feet downstream and stood up in the water that was only about three and a half feet deep. So he, like, like swam past her. Okay. That's not great. No. Grace drifted to him, staggered to her feet in front of him, and threw her arms around his shoulders. The pair made it to a small sandbar where they stood, and the water at this point was only up to their knees. So, like, they're solid, right? Yeah. A rope was thrown to them. Quote, they appeared to be safe when suddenly both sank from view, and it is believed <gasps> they were sucked down by quicksand. They, like, literally just... Fuck. Yes. Both Grace and Owen simply disappeared. Cannon City and the Colorado Motion Picture Company arranged for the Arkansas River to be dragged 
and a $100 reward for either body recovered. It's a lot of fucking money back then. Yeah. It's like $3,000 a piece. At, I was wondering if you were going to have a number on hand. <laughs> at one point, Grace's body was seen under a bridge below the point where the accident happened, but she could not be reached. News Ugh. spread quickly about the onset tragedy, but rumors started to swirl that the, the whole thing was like a publicity stunt to kind of oh drum God, up, you know, coverage before its release. But it wasn't a PR stunt. And five days later, Owen's body was found and recovered downstream more than a mile from where the accident happened. Wow. A week after that, Grace was recovered more than nine miles from the accident site. Oh, and you know it would not have been pretty great by then. No. Despite it not being a publicity stunt, the movie company still tried to capitalize on the tragedy. They billed the movie as, quote, Grace McHugh and Across the Border, a thrilling Mexican war drama in three parts, in the production of which the beautiful and daring heroine lost her life. Oh my god, they just put it ew. right in the headline. Ooh, that is yucky. Yes. The headlines of the tragic death of the budding actress spread far and wide, and with this, Owen's heroic actions and death were quickly overshadowed. Everybody was more interested in, like, this actress, you know. Yeah. Not this poor guy that, like, risked his life, like, literally died to try to save her. Yeah. This didn't sit well with across-the-border producer Otis B. Thayer. So, a month after the incident, Otis wrote a letter to the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission. The Carnegie Hero Fund was established in 1904 by Andrew Carnegie, who was moved to celebrate extraordinary acts of heroism in the United States and Canada. It came to fruition after Selwyn Taylor and Daniel Lyle lost their lives in a rescue attempt during the Harwick mine disaster that claimed 181 lives. In his letter to the Carnegie Hero Fund, Otis wrote, I am free to say that I have never saw greater heroism displayed by anyone than was displayed by Mr. Carter in this instance. He was taking his life in his hands and attempting to go across the swift current of the river, and it certainly looked to me when I saw him last that he would succeed in making the rescue, but unfortunately, he lost his life in the effort. Owen Carter would go on to be named Carnegie Hero posthumously for his heroic actions on July 1st, 1914. I think that's sweet. Like, he was recognized still, you know? Yeah. I hate the forgotten yeah. shit. Grace's family sued the Colorado Motion Picture Company. Um, the company would actually not financially recover from the lawsuit, and it dissolved four years later in 1918, wow. signaling the end of silent movie filming in Cannon City, Colorado. Wow. So it was the, was, I think they had like, it, they stopped filming there for, quite a while i think they got a surge again like years later but it was definitely the end of an era in canon city goodness yeah so that's that's one of the first movie set deaths wow it, it is wild to me how well these things have been paired like there are so many similarities give it to me i want to hear yours i know what it is okay my turn, and I am so it's it's weird. Is it not weird to do? Like it must be weird to to do your story and be like now time to sit back and hear a story. Uh, it is weird. 
It is so... And it is weird, because now, like, the episode feels over, but oh, it's not. I've got stuff to tell you people. (laughs) So first, I want to mention that I did find an amazing, 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 pretty long-form article in Anchorage Daily News, um, which I wouldn't say I got most of this from it, but I did get a pretty good chunk from that information, or from that article. And there's also, like, so much in the article that I didn't even scratch the surface of. So if this interests you and you want to read more, like, meaty stuff, um, it will definitely be linked in the show notes. And there's just – there's a lot of details that it it just felt like I didn't want to pull every single detail from the article if it wasn't super relevant because, you know, that's that's their work. But there's a lot – there's a lot more. It's cool. You should read it. Anyway, so – Helena Hutchins had an interesting life from the very beginning of it. She was born in Ukraine in 1979 to her mom, Olga, a nurse, and her dad, Anatoly. Is that how you would say that? I would say it like that. Okay. He was a soldier in the Soviet Navy. She grew up on a military base in the Arctic, and in her own words, she was surrounded by reindeer and nuclear submarines. Oh, wow. Right? What a life. For lack of the reindeer's interest in hanging out with her, she spent a lot of time watching movies, and her unique childhood gave her kind of a unique perspective, and she developed a deep interest in film at a young age, but she didn't always know that it would become her career. Uh, She did a little bit of bouncing around and major changing, who among us hasn't, starting out majoring in economics before changing it to, in my mind, the much more interesting journalism, which is what she graduated with, uh, international journalism. That kind of thing always makes me feel like, what the fuck am I doing with my yeah. life? Does that do that to you? Yeah. Like, I want a cool degree. I want a cool job. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have a cool job, but like, man, can you imagine just being like, yeah, I'm an international journalist? Like, that's fucking cool. Yes. <laughs> so her first real job post-graduation was working as an investigative journalist for documentaries, which sounds like either the best or worst job in the world. Right. Um. I always think about the fact that when I was an undergrad, like I was a notoriously last minute essay writer and I, I would wait until, you know, six hours before it was due to even start it. And I would be 5,000 out of 10 stressed. And then I would get like 115% on it. And it was just like, it was my whole bit. <laughs> and now that's my whole job. That's your adrenaline rush right there. It kind of is though. Um, her job took her all over the world and she landed in the United States when she realized that she wanted to study film in California, which is where she met a man named Matthew and they got engaged after only three months and married. Not sure how long it took them to get married. Uh, film school was expensive and all consuming, but she, they got married and decided to settle in the States and seven years into their marriage, Helena got pregnant with their first child, a baby boy they would name Andros. Andros? How would you say it? Andros? Sure. Andros, I think it's a cool last name, however you pronounce it, but uh, the pronunciation websites are very conflicting on that (laughs) one. Um, She would pretty much take whatever work she could get in the field of production, doing anything she could do to just network and gain skills and gain experience. get her leg in the door. Yes. And I mean, she just, it wasn't even just that she was taking shitty jobs or anything. She was just 
I read something that said she just had a knack for being at the right place and schmoozing with the right people and gaining the right skills. And she just, she was very serious about it. And in the immortal words of Lin-Manuel Miranda, she was young, scrappy, and hungry. <laughs> she was cool. She's somebody who just couldn't get enough of life. She called herself on her Instagram profile, a restless streamer and an is Is it a profile? Yeah. An Instagram pro- That doesn't sound right. Anyway, on Instagram... I'm old. She not as old as her, so I have no excuse. She called herself a restless dreamer and an adrenaline junkie. And when she did have free time, she spent it parachuting, riding horses, and exploring caves. She's pretty much universally liked. And the cool thing about this is I don't think this is just a matter of people saying that after, after fact, something terrible happens. Yeah. Because yeah. people have really interesting ways of describing her, which is like I think about that all the time. Like I don't die and have somebody say I had the biggest heart in my smile. You lit, lit up, up a room. room. Like, shut the fuck, up. fuck off. Like that means nothing. I I always think like it, when I die and people are talking about me. First of all, I want you to write my obituary and spill all my tea. But I got second it. of all, like I want people to say I was pragmatic. Like I want them to explain our inside jokes and like say you know it was like a weird mix of Aquarius, aloof, and Scorpio, intense, and that kind of thing. Like I like to think that I've left enough of an impression on people for them to have some like meaningful adjectives when i'm dead <laughs> yeah no and you people got it. did they said that she was rugged which i thought was such a cool descriptor especially when you're talking about a woman and she was willing to just do anything or crawl into any weird space to capture a scene perfectly they said she was gifted and talented and good at something that they called grimy but beautiful as far as like filmmaking aesthetics go mm-hmm. a director who worked with her said quote she had this amazing background that you just sort of instantly romanticize she had this whole ukrainian vibe that made her seem both super cool and serious about truth i love Helena that. Was just a cool right like i love the way people describe her i, I it's just not think it's generic so cool at people- all no, exactly. I love when people describe somebody in a way where you feel like you know them and would like them furthermore. Um, she was just cool. Like she was usually in a leather jacket or a beanie. She had short, light blonde hair and beautiful eyebrows, which we all know is all I really factor in when assessing a person. <laughs> she like she looked talented. And she was. Every project she worked on as a cinematographer had more people wanting to work with her on future projects in an overwhelmingly male-dominated field. Short mostly on indie films, but in 2020, she landed something a little bit more mainstream with some really big names. The movie was called Rust, and Alec Baldwin would be both directing the story that he had helped create, as well as starring as an old outlaw named Harland Rust in the 1800s, who takes his estranged 13-year-old grandson on the run after the grandson is sentenced to be hanged after accidentally shooting someone, which is some yikes foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, Jensen Ackles was also cast. Uh, it was a pretty big break. Like, it wasn't a huge movie. It had a relatively low, but not that low budget. Like, apparently under five million is considered low budget, and it was six to seven million. So not like low budget, but low-ish. Um, the cast and crew were set to film over the course of three weeks in New Mexico, and Alec Baldwin was fucking psyched. In an interview with a Hollywood reporter, he said, They're always at the ready. I'm an actor of the old school. So if you read my resume, my motorcycle riding, my French juggling, my horseback riding, my gunplay is all right at my fingertips at all times. Wow. Yikes. (laughs) Now, okay, sidebar here. I've never super followed Alec Baldwin or like any of his brothers. Aren't there like a bunch of brothers? I think there's three in there. Yeah. Yeah. They're all all of them are a hot mess. 
Okay, I don't I don't really follow that mess, although maybe I will now. But even I was like, didn't he call his kid a pig at some point? Or was that like, yeah, no, he did. He did. So I did a little dive into that. (laughs) I detour there. So we don't forget who we're dealing with here. Oh, wow. Wow. So most of us probably do remember 15 years ago, he called his 11 year old daughter Ireland and she didn't answer the phone. Heaven help her. And he left her this long-ass voicemail, which started with, quote, You have insulted me for the last time. You have insulted me. You don't have the brains or the decency as a human being. I don't give a damn that you're 12 years old or 11 years old or that you're a child. Does he not know how old this kid is? He doesn't know how old this kid is. Or that your mother is a thoughtless pain in the ass who doesn't care about what you do as far as I'm concerned. And he went on and on about his plans to tell her in person how pissed he was. And then he ended with, so you better be ready Friday the 20th to meet with me. So I'm going to let you know just how I feel about what a rude little pig you really are. You're a rude, thoughtless little pig. Okay. <sighs> he, I mean, obviously he had to publicly apologize. Like, I, I wouldn't take that to mean anything if he has any kind of PR agent. Like, that was inevitable. Right. And Ireland basically said it's no big deal. He's always like that. Yeah, that's Yikes. not something that just happens nope 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 so interviews with ireland's mom kim basinger include some of the most carefully worded ex-wife language i've ever heard (laughs) she said quote you know we're all fine we all get along whatever but he's a challenge we've had our challenges i don't think alec was emotionally or mentally available for that kind of talk alec operates in a very different way in his life Mm-hmm. So shit that's not going to get her sued, but show me a divorced woman who can't read between those lines. Yep. Uh, Ireland herself, who has publicly struggled with an eating disorder, said that if the topic was mental health, her father, quote, wouldn't be able to really absorb any of it. And just, man, that's nothing to be proud of no. as as a parent at all. Uh, Kim also said about divorces, she said, ours was very public and nasty. I just wanted her to be free. If she wanted to have her friends over and write on the walls with pen, that was fine. I wanted her childhood to be full of love and light and animals and friends. To which I say, I see you, Kim. I see exactly what you're saying there. (laughs) Um, Without really directly saying. And when Alec and his wife announced that they were expecting his seventh child in April. Ireland addressed it on Instagram writing, I get countless messages from people who are alarmingly obsessed with my father and his family. I think a lot of people assume my take on any of this. Well, here it is for free. It's none of my business. I don't care. I smoke weed. I eat good food and I mind my own business. Get it, girl. And if that's not some Eminem, Mariah Carey, I don't even mean their feud with each other. I mean, their feuds with other people <laughs> level shade. I don't even know what yep. it is. I, I'm just like, I'm going to, I want to get that like calligraphied and frame. <laughs> I smoke weed. I eat good food and I mind my own business. Yep. <laughs> like I will hang that on my wall. <laughs> Bet. Um, so kind of fuck Alec Baldwin. Like, I mean, whether he sucks or not doesn't really affect his ultimate culpability or not culpability in this, but, like, also just lest we forget, kind of fuck that guy. There were problems with production on Rust from the beginning. The film was described as a passion project for Alec, and the budget and timeline restrictions were observed to the exclusion of all else. The A-camera first assistant said, quote, It always felt like the budget was more important than crew members. Everything was about the schedule and the budget. 
crew would begin arriving at 6 a.m. and they stood in line in 37 degree temperatures for shitty and scarce breakfast sandwiches. Wow. Yeah. Camera crew, they were unhappy about a lot of different things. In particular, there was a dispute over hotel rooms. Basically, they had been promised rooms, but they were no longer provided after the first week of production. And apparently they were only, like, I think from a union standpoint, required to provide them for crew who lived more than 60 miles away. And most of them lived, like, 55 miles away. Oh, that's dirty. Yeah. So, like, they didn't have to, but the crew was real shitty about it. Uh, Helena was such a team player. She had personally given up using a te- using a techno crane for some of her shots. So there would be some room in the budget freed up to provide lodging. Uh, and somewhere in all this, someone had custom t-shirts made that said 404 housing not found. <laughs> and I, I couldn't quite get a read on like who that was or what the deal was, but it was a whole ass thing. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she was a trooper through the long work days. She video chatted with her nine-year-old son every night before bed. There were issues with just like regular pay for the crew, like not getting paid, But most alarmingly, there had also been loud complaints about working conditions and safety for weeks. People said that they felt rushed all the time. And there were concerns about a woman named Hannah, the armorer for production. She was inexperienced. And in only two weeks filming, there had been three accidental discharges of weapons. Jesus Christ. But the rounds were all blank. So like, but But still. still. But still, like, that's, ugh. There was not always a medic on site when there needed to be. Safety bulletins and safety meetings that were industry standard were, like, just not happening sometimes. The camera crew, in particular, was so ridiculously overworked that one of them had fallen asleep at the wheel driving home at some point. He wrote an email to the production team saying, quote, I have to wake up early and commute to set. My job is very physically demanding and I am beyond exhausted by the time I wrap. I found myself nodding off or having to take micro naps on the roadside just to get home safe. That's so fucking dangerous. It is. It's now it's like carrying over into the public spaces. Exactly. He also noted that the safety protocols around weapons were just non-existent to the point that he was afraid to even be on set. His email was sent on the night of October 20th, and it was ignored. Things had actually deteriorated to the point that half a dozen camera crew members were planning to walk out on October 21st. So when they got there in the 37 degree temperatures for the breakfast sandwiches, they skipped breakfast because they thought it would be in poor form to eat and then strike. So (laughs) when they got there... Right? I would eat. I, I would eat. I don't care. I would still eat. I'd be like, fuck you. Thanks for breakfast, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> like, you owe me shit. Like, I'm going to take everything Absolutely. I can get, even your shitty breakfast sandwich. Well, but I guess I like two food. kinds of people I, in the world I, and we're the bad kind. I will eat and just about anything, though, so. Yeah. So, when they got there, they started disassembling their equipment to leave. Um, Helena got there for work and she was kind of sad and surprised to find this. She was really popular among the crew and she thought that giving up the techno crane had solved the hotel issue, but apparently it hadn't. Um, and I think there was a lot more than that going on. It was just the final straw was the hotel situation. They just, they felt like, especially with the whole, you know, falling asleep driving thing, cause they have to wrangle this super heavy camera equipment all day. 
And they just felt like, you know, with that, it just kind of demonstrated that production just did not care about them or their safety, and they were just done. Um, but she had kind of hoped that she had mediated a bit with the technocrane thing and solved the problem, and, you know, she gets there and they're leaving. So, you know, she hugged everybody goodbye, and, and everything was on great terms with her, but even packing up to strike was a problem for the schedule, and production told the striking crew to hurry up with their packing. They were replaced pretty much within the hour with some union and non-union camera crew members, and some of the actors didn't even know anything had changed, but it was like this whole drama behind the scenes. So apparently Alex's gunplay skills that he said were always at his fingertips did in fact need a little bit of brushing up on, because around 1.30 in the afternoon that day when the camera crew had walked out, um, on October 21st, 2021, he was practicing his draw, including uh, drawing his revolver and pointing it at the camera, which was directed by Helena in a wooden church that was the setting for Alex's character's shootout. So he drew and redrew, and he was, you know, practicing and letting the crew get lined up where they needed to be and everything. Overall, he was actually seen by his peers and, and you know, the other people there as very vigilant about gun safety. Running through the scene, he said, so I guess I'm going to take this out, pull it, and go bang. The gun was supposed to be cold. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even supposed to have any live rounds in it. And not only that, but it wasn't obviously supposed to be able to be fired without the trigger being pulled. That's, you know, a thing. And I think that he had kind of like a little safety double check in his own head where he he just would never pull the trigger when it was at someone. Right. Even if it was supposed to be cold, that was just like a thing for him. But something and the what of that was would be litigated into the ground in the following months, but something went wrong. And Alec Baldwin shot Helena in the chest from only two feet away, hitting the director who was behind her with the same round that went through her and into him. <sighs> The force of the impact threw Helena back where the electrician caught her, and it seems like for a minute the room just stood still. Alex said, what the fuck just happened? What the fuck just happened? What the fuck just happened? And it had to have been immediately apparent that her injuries were very serious. Right. The electrician laid her on the ground. Uh, she was bleeding really heavily. Alex set his gun in a pew and kept repeating what the fuck just happened? What the fuck just happened? Somebody screamed for the medic, and while everybody available tried to stop her bleeding, the sound guy said to her, oh, that was no good. And while she could still talk, she answered, no, that was no good. That was no good at all. Oh, my God. Yeah. The script supervisor called 911 and said, Bonanza Creek Ranch, two people accidentally shot on a movie set by a prop gun. We need help immediately. Emergency responders got there in 12 minutes to find a church full of screaming crew members. Helena was taken to the University of New Mexico hospital in a helicopter where she died. Um, the director who was behind her, who was hit, was he, he was, I don't know if he was taken by helicopter or ambulance, but he was treated um, for his injuries and he, he did make it. Um, they held the cast and crew and interviewed them in the set saloon, which I just thought was such a weird yeah, detail. Yeah. Um, production was indefinitely suspended after the accident. Whether it was due to genuine innocence or something else, I don't know. Alex was distancing himself from culpability 
right away. Oh, big time. He, right, yeah. He told paparazzi shortly after Helena's death, quote, there are incidental accidents on film sets from time to time, but nothing like this. We were a very, very well-oiled crew shooting a film together, and then this horrible event happened. It's that this horrible event yeah. happened. Yeah. And I, like, I'm not taking a position on that, because that, that may be accurate I, I actually think it is probably accurate but just noting the language and i i mean it's i don't know i don't think it landed super well with her husband right but i mean at the same time there's no saying that that's not exactly the case i don't know so in the aftermath of this everybody blamed everybody else unsurprisingly uh, alec baldwin took an interesting position on this. He was explicit immediately that he did not pull the trigger at all, which would become the main question of an FBI investigation, whether it could have been fired without the trigger being pulled. And I'm not going to get into the logistics of how that may or may not have happened or could or could not have happened because I'm not a gun person. So I'm going to be talking out my ass, but there's a lot of unpacking of it on the internet. If you're interested, uh, Alex said, quote, someone is responsible for what happened, and I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. Which, I mean, that's, that's, I, I, I almost kind of have to respect that. That's a bold statement to take. Like, it's not, it, I feel like I would almost expect more of just the short to the point, my condolences are with her family. Like, not taking responsibility, but not just fucking explicitly denying yeah. it. Um, but I mean, he's just like, no, absolutely the fuck not wasn't me. And I, I don't, I think that's interesting. I just, I don't know. He was asked in another interview if he felt guilt about her death. And he said, quote, no, no, I might have killed myself if I thought I was responsible. And I don't say that lightly. Oh, my God. Uh, this opened up an industry wide discussion, which glad you can talk about mental health now, Alec. But anyway, right, right, right. Um, this opened up an industry-wide discussion with some other actors like George Clooney saying that he considered it his responsibility to personally open the gun, inspect it, look at all the rounds, make sure that if there's anything in there, it was blank every single time to make sure it was cold before every single take, even going so far as like doing that and like showing that to the person he would be pointing yeah, at. Yeah, you can't just willy-nilly just... Yeah, I can kind of see both sides on that. Alec basically said, well, good for you. But then his attorney added, quote... Actors should be able to rely on armorers and prop department professionals as well as assistant directors rather than deciding on their own when a gun is safe. Not when you're slashing fucking budgets and you're bringing in tired fucking people. Yeah, because he's the producer. That's the fucking thing. You know what I mean? That is the fucking thing here. You That is such a good point. I kind of hadn't even thought about it like that because it does seem like probably several people fucked up here. Hannah the armorer also got sued. Um, According, God, I think her name was Hannah. I yeah, I think it's like that. Hannah Gutierrez or something. Like, yes. I believe her yeah. father was yes. like in the industry. Yeah, it, that is the case. And according to her attorney, she had begged for the training and time to do her job safely and been denied. Um, and and I I I don't know. And it's like apparently in the box there shouldn't have even been any live rounds in the box that he was pulling from in the first place. Yeah. And there were, and someone fucked that up, and someone put them in the gun, and someone, you know, in terms of the armor, had to have dropped the ball. I don't, I don't see how. Why are that there real be. bullets on set? That's fucking yeah, asinine. But I mean, it. 
he could have been more careful. I don't really know how the armor couldn't have some responsibility here. But also, you know, apparently there shouldn't have even been the rounds. And I mean, it's just, it's all around. But ultimately, he was the producer of the entire project. Yes. So, I mean, do I think that he knowingly or intentionally or maliciously did that in any way, shape, or form? No, not at all. Um, And I also do think that, like, ultimately the FBI vouched for the fact that the gun seemed to have been fired without the trigger being pulled. I think there's been, like, very recent updates on that. Like, really? Like, today. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, I know the death was ruled an accident. Um, The medic and lead camera operator also filed lawsuits saying they were so traumatized by what happened that it affected their ability to work. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, And I think that, you know, some of these lawsuits are still in progress, but... Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's there's blame to go around, but it does seem like ultimately he he may or may not have actually even pulled the trigger. Okay, so yeah, here we go. I just looked it up. Um, okay. it, this started coming out 18 hours ago. Still updating an hour ago. You picked up Fuck. Freshie. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, so they just released the FBI report. Okay. What timing is that? crazy yeah holy shit okay Okay, so here on npr according to fbi report the gun in question quote could not be made to fire without a pull of the trigger while the hammer was cocked at the one fourth and half positions the ballistic analysis also found that the weapon quote could not be made to fire without a pull of the trigger while the working internal components were intact and functional when it was fully cocked yeah, but I did read some other places that, like, apparently the gun was in terrible condition, so it may or may not have been in working order. I don't know. Messy, messy. Messy, messy. So that that's that's my rootin' tootin' mutiny for you today. Wow. Rootin' tootin' still unfolding. Yeah. Whew. Nothing's changed, Brianne. <laughs> nothing has fucking changed no very little i mean i guess they paused production instead of putting it in the headlines so there's that but yeah not much do you think they'll release it i know it's pause but do you think they'll really i don't know i i was thinking that last and night. what's like, the moral compass of that i don't know and it, it's it's sketchy all around because like i would never have watched that but i probably would now right and I like I I I realize that's gross. Yeah. But you know, now that I've done this whole deep dive into it, I would probably be curious to see the movie. But it's not something that ever would have interested me before. And like, I'm sure I'm unfortunately not the only one. So are they really not going to capitalize on that? I don't know. That's Hollywood. They definitely will. Yeah. Ugh. Well, well, we need a uh, we need some fucking disaster relief. So, (laughs) I meant to do mine last week, Um, and mine, I'm not sure if if either one of us has ever done this before. We've done the listeners generally because they're wonderful, but I'm going to go with a particular listener, and I'm not going to say why. (laughs) Um, And that is Deborah. Hi, uh, Deborah. You know who you are, Deborah. You know who you are. You know, he, you know who you are. You know what you did. You know what you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I encountered- I do, too. I know. Yeah, you do. 
that's about it though. Um, you encountered a, well, I encountered a listener in the wilds of the internet the other day, um, in a Facebook group where I had asked a question that I was not expecting to be, uh, tied to me, per se. <laughs> Um, and I, I mean, I, I know I'm super vague booking here and I'm going to continue, but like, it, and it's not like some kind of like, you know, gross TMI physical thing or anything like that. It totally it, um, is. No, it's totally not. You can fuck off. She's um, asking about the is, bells. Fuck yourself. <laughs> um, but I, it, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. And then here is Deborah and she's like, oh my God, I am such a big fan. <laughs> And I was like, oh, (laughs) fancy meeting you here. (laughs) That was so funny. And it was, uh, it was a whole thing. So Deborah, thanks for that. Uh, Thanks for being cool. Yeah. And uh, I think it's epic. I think it's super cool. It is cool. We are totally vague booking. We are. And a year or two from now, I will explain myself. I just can't right now. But Deborah, hey, shout out. Thanks for being so cool. <laughs> what do you have? <laughs> oh, I mean, I'm just going to stand with my Halloween. I just, I'm excited about my skellies. I'm putting them out really soon. I think it was super cool that Emily found my horse. Oh, hell yeah. Um, Just want to get it up. I don't know. I got to put some whiskers, yeah, some whiskers on my, uh, my lion. Well, I know it's a repeat, but that's really what's making well, me happy. There's right also now. some <laughs> symmetry there though. Cause we're kind of, uh, we're kind of both shouting out a specific listener. So. Oh yeah. See, yeah. We're looking like we're, each we're, other. We're again. too aligned right yes, now. Yes, we are. Uh, we got some Patreons. Um, before we get into that, though, we, since of everything's been going on, you had mono, then COVID. Yes. We had to take yeah. some time off. I had bronchitis in the middle, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we never did July's Patreon giveaway. So I want to do that now. And then also for a hundredth episode, um, do another. Uh, giveaway so if you are on our top tier patreon every month we give you a batch of our stickers and our pins um but i was working on some sample mugs and instead of donating a bunch of those to goodwill um (laughs) which i think is very fun marketing personally yeah i mean they're good there's nothing wrong with them i was tweaking some sizes and stuff like that so they're not um perfect i'm gonna give each of you a mug so um of one of my sample mugs it's one of the kind there's not another like it and and you trust me, you're lucky to have it. Wait till you see it. It's so fucking cool. Okay. <laughs> and they're big God. ones. These mugs are 15 ounces. They're the four finger mugs. These aren't no rinky dink baby no. mugs that you get from other podcasters. These are. <laughs> oh, we're dragging other podcasters. These now. are big, fat, happy, fall is coming. Drink your coffee, drink your tea, drink it in big quantity. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? What the Quantity. See <laughs> what you did there. All right. Okay. So let's pull up this wheel. I love my little clicky thing. Let's see. 
All right, so let's do our July giveaway now. Okay. All right. Lacey Valentine. What a name. Lacey, you won our July merch giveaway and one of the mugs. So I will get that packed up. I have to um, ship out Emily's this week too. So be on the lookout for that. And let's do one for our 100th episode because why not? Why not? Uh, I love that sound. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Sunshine Fox. Sunshine Fox. Yes. I've met her. <laughs> uh, she's so cool. She's very deserving. Very deserving. Yes. So Lacey yes. and Sunshine. She's, she's had quite a week. I think she probably needs some coffee. Yeah, too. for sure. Um, so Lacey, Sunshine, Emily, I will get your boxes out this week. And um, yes. for our Patreons this week, we have three. We have Katie. We have Victoria Bacon. I love your last name. And Sophie <laughs> Hall. You guys are buddies. So go donate blood. Go donate food. Go donate a kidney. All of your kidneys. All of them. All of them. You don't need them. Mm-hmm. You don't need them. And uh, next week for episode 101, we will do our second part of this. I'm really, really excited. I am the fuck, too. Oh. I wonder if we're going to have symmetry again next week. I have a big fucking fat, juicy terrible one. Oh my gosh okay. it's it's our it's done it's ready it's it's bad all right so I'm, I can't wait for big fat juicy terrible done ready and bad <laughs> <laughs> what was it what was you've got a lot of adjectives root, for that <laughs> Yeehaw. all right we've eaten our last haul let's get out of here sweet dreams or no dreams sweet dreams or no dreams <laughs> Hey, Horrible Ghouls. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.